I mean, I don't know about you. I came here to worship Jesus. Jesus is alive, amen? He's the king of kings, right? He's not trying to be the king. He is the king. He's already the king. He didn't need to ask anyone's permission about it, did he? He's the king right now all by himself. Amen. Well, I'm glad I get to worship the king with you this morning. So good morning, family. We're going to get going. Open your Bibles to Luke 9. Luke chapter 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Uh, We'll try to get a Bible to you. Um, Luke chapter 9 is where we are going to start this morning. Did you need one? Okay, we need one right here. Thank you very much. Luke chapter 9, if you're just tuning in with us, we are in the middle of a series called, uh, in Luke called Meals with Jesus, right there on the screen, Meals with Jesus. If you remember, each of these meals reveals something about who Jesus is. Every one of these meals reveals the grace that he gives, the community that he is creating, and the mission that he is on. And if you remember, uh, the first week that was the first meal, we studied a, a meal that was hosted by a tax collector. Remember that? And then last week's meal was hosted by a Pharisee. He's gone to the other side of town, so to speak. And now this week, today, Jesus is the host. Jesus is the host of this massive meal out in the middle of nowhere. So let's read Luke 9. We're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to go down to 17. Kind of a shorter passage than what we're used to. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place." But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You are a speaking God. You have spoken to people in the past, and you are speaking to people this very second. And I ask that you would open up our ears to hear, that you would open up our minds to understand what you are speaking 
to us as a church and to us as individuals. Show us Jesus in this passage. So show us, Father, the good news in this passage and show us how to apply it to our life. We need your help and you are a helping God. We thank you for that. We thank you for all that you give to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of us in this room that are uh, my age or my generation, maybe a little bit younger, uh, have experienced something that was quite the phenomenon for a while. It was this little 2,000-mile uh, journey called the Oregon T- Trail. Anyone remember this? A couple of people. Great. Thanks for bailing me out. All right. So on this journey, we traveled 15 miles a day for six months. Remember this? Oh, I forgot to mention, it's on a computer screen. That's where we did this travel. It was on a computer screen, all right? The game, this game was one of the most successful computer games uh, when the desktop first became accessible to people in their homes. And it was, and this is very interesting, it was written by history teachers. Did you know that? It was written by history teachers that were trying to get their students interested in, in the history of our country. And that's kind of how this game came about. It was a revolutionary game because it, you determined your own fate in the game. It was the first of its kind. I mean, we had that. It's like common now. That was a new thing for video games back then. All right? You determined uh, life and death of you and your posse, right? Your group by what you packed, by what your provisions were and how they held up against the elements and time and chance and fate right? 600 pounds of flour, 120 pounds of biscuits. This is what you needed. 400 pounds of bacon, 60 pounds of coffee. I I guess you need coffee in Oregon, right, when you travel. Uh, That didn't even include parceling out your pretend money for other really necessary things like a gun and horses and oxen. The mission was to get, was to make it to your destination alive, right? Your hope was that you packed the right provisions. That was your hope. Now, like the disciples in our passage this morning, Christ has called us on an epic mission. And Luke confronts us with this truth this morning. In order to accomplish Christ's mission, we must rely on Christ's power and provisions. I'll say that again. In order to accomplish Christ's mission, we must rely on Christ's power and and his provision. Amen? There's three things from this passage that I want to highlight. I think they will help us rely on Christ's power and his provision. We need to see something, we need to acknowledge something, and we need to believe something. And when we will rely on Christ and we see that the need is great. We need to see that the need is great. I want us to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop back down into verse 10 that we read this morning, okay? And he called, this is Jesus, and he called the 12 together, and he gave them, listen to this, he gave them power and authority over the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, drop down to verse 10. On their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. And they took, he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those that were in need of healing. 
So Jesus has sent his disciples out on a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a central teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. Now, the kingdom of God is is this huge concept. I don't have time to unpack all that that means in in this little message, okay? So I'm going to try to give you a one-sentence definition real quick of what this is, okay? This is impossible. I'll try it, all right? The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God in the world through the person and work of Jesus. Christ will undo all the damage that sinful humans, satanic forces, and death has caused, and all who enter the kingdom experience those blessings. You see, I couldn't even do it in a sentence. It's that big of a concept, all right? Some of you, like, nerdy people are like, that's two sentences. You know, you're right, you got me. But that's kind of in a nutshell what the kingdom of God is. And this is, Jesus talked about this all the time. And his disciples went out preaching this message. This is the good news of Jesus. So the disciples are telling people about the kingdom that has come in Christ. All the wonderful things that people have been hoping for has broken into history. I like to say it's come ahead of schedule. Everything we've been waiting for has begun to happen. They prove that Jesus rules over all powers, even demonic forces. They prove that Jesus will restore all that he's created by restoring health to people that are sick. It's a powerful thing. This is a very interesting mission that they're on. And what happens? What happens to the text? What's it say? People found out about it. They liked it. They were really curious. People were so intrigued, they began following the disciples and the Jesus. Jesus, thousands of them. The text says 5,000 men. Now, you add in the possibility of wives or girlfriends or cousins and maybe some multiple children that they had toting around with them. I mean, you could estimate that there were maybe 10,000 people. All of a sudden, this is a big flash mob, 10,000 people. That's stadium numbers, guys. Are you picturing this? All of a sudden, their little small group discussion blew up like that. All of a sudden, their little debrief session they were going to have with the master blew up all of a sudden didn't plan for it it just happened this message attracted people is what i'm saying it doesn't mean that they all believe but many came that's the point they were drawn by the good news about christ and the kingdom because they were hungry for hope you can't do anything without hope even just a little bit, and they were hungry for hope. Now, let me bring this story into our lives because I want you to feel. I want you to feel what they're feeling. I want you to feel what's going on in this meal. We live in a world, and we live in a town that is hungry, as hungry for hope as the people that flock to Jesus and the disciples. Can I get an amen on that? That is right. They are just as hungry for hope. And every one of us, and I do mean every one of us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, every one of us has been given the message of hope. I mean real hope. We've been given this message of real hope. So what happens? Just just play this out in my mind so we can feel what they're feeling in the story. What happens when we start sharing, like the disciples, this message of hope in Christ to our neighbors? What happens when you start doing that? We start sharing this message of hope with our neighbors, 
with our family, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, and they're hungry, and they come. What happens? I'm not saying that if we spread the gospel, then 10,000 people come to Crossway. Okay, this is a miracle meal. It's not what I'm saying. It's not a formula. Right, Cal? Not a formula. All right? It's a miracle. But, but I'm trying to get you to feel something. Let's just say not 5,000 or even half that. Let's be, let's say 20 people. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 10, 15, 20. This whole section, 20. Can you picture? Are you picturing things now? Let's just say you share the gospel of grace with people in the kingdom of God that has come and is coming, and people go, I like that because that sounds like hope. And they come. Just 20 people. That's not a lot of people, is it? And they want to hear more of what you are telling them. Not me, because you, you live in their neighborhood, and you've been inviting them to have meals with you, and you've been having meals at their house, right? Right? 20 people come, and they want to hear more of what you are telling them, your hope in Jesus Christ and how gorgeous he is. And let's say this. They want to learn more about the gospel. They want to get into a small group because they want to learn about it. They want to learn to know, how do I have this relationship with God? I I hear you. I know I need to have one. I'm in. Now, how do I do that? How do I pray? How do I worship? How do I read the Bible? How do I have this relationship with Jesus that you've been talking to me about, right? So let's just say, like the disciples, we simply obey Jesus, and by his grace, just 20 people show up at Crossway. 20 new people that you don't know, and I don't know. What do we do now? What do we do now? Who disciples this whole section? Who disciples that whole section of new people? I'm just talking 20 people. I'm not talking 200, right? They don't know how to read the Bible, right? They haven't maybe read all the Bible. They read John 3.16 and that's it, okay? They're still living in sin. They don't know any of the songs that we're singing. They don't know any of the verses that we're quoting to one another, right? They just know that Jesus is Lord and they need him and he gives hope and they're in, right? Where do all our provisions come from? Who in our church has the spiritual maturity to disciple 20 people? Guys, I cannot do that all by myself without losing my wife and children. All right? (laughs) I'm just going to, the secret's out. I cannot do that. Right, Cal? I cannot do that. John is a great man. He cannot do that all by himself. 20 new people is like five new discipleship groups all at once happening. Because they're hungry. They want more, right? Do we have enough disciples of Jesus trained to guide those five groups? I'm not saying we don't. I'm just asking the question so you can feel this a little bit, okay? How about their children? People bring children, right? They brought children. That's part of the 5,000, right? Do we have enough disciples of Jesus serving our children on Sunday to handle that need? They say, I love Jesus, I want to worship. I want them to know about Jesus so their folks can come learn about Jesus. And their folks can go home and be the main disciples in their house. Not them, not me. They are. The parents are. Right? Look, there are needs that we all have in our individual life right now. I get that. I do too. I have my own needs. But uh, I see needs that are coming down the road when we obey Jesus. 
Amen? And the only way that we become a church that truly relies on Christ's power and Christ's provision is that we need to see that the needs are great. The needs are great. So we will rely on Christ when we acknowledge that we are less than able. Don't get too nervous. There's two more points, okay? Verse 12, all the way to 14a. You ready? Here we go. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodge. They're telling Jesus what to do. Anyway, back to the verse. That's commentary. Here's God's word. All right. Send them away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men, and I want to know, like, and how do you shuttle five thousand worth of food back? <laughs> anyway, you ever been so engrossed in a uh, like a, a radio news show or newscast that you you were driving down the road and you missed your turn, you missed your exit, and you're like, I'm past the point where I can turn around. I can't turn around real easy. You ever that ever happened? Nudge somebody if it happened to them. That's okay. Uh, that's kind of the territory the disciples find themselves in right now, okay? This had to be an exciting day for disciples. They had to love this day, like, woohoo, what is going on? We just did what you told us to do, and look what happened. And I'm just imagining, like, all the talking and chattering going on. They're like, they're in this. They've got to be, like, high-fiving each other, you know? This is, what's going on? This is nuts. They just came off a campaign of casting out demons and healing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God. They're heading out of town because they're tired. They're going to go get some rest. They're going to get a little debrief. Jesus is going to explain what just happened. And all of a sudden, thousands of people start coming out of their houses and walking down the road. And they're following them. They figure out where they're at. They show up to hear Jesus talk more about that hope stuff. Scratch the need, and even more needs start coming, right? But as soon as the sun starts to set, they look around at where they are. These disciples are pretty perceptive. They perceive a big problem on their hands. They're miles and miles and miles out in the middle of nowhere. And, whoa, sun's going down. Day's getting long. What do we do? I don't think everybody lived in that area. I think they followed from a long, long ways away, some of them. Big problem. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and we, they have five, over 5,000 hungry people on their hands, and the disciples of mine say, all right, show's over. Hey, it's a great day of ministry. Let's wrap it up. Send them away. We're going to go take, we'll take care of them. Let's take care of their needs. Send them away, all right? This is a good day. Chalk one up in the wind section. Jesus, this is a good day. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't want to end it. I don't want to end it. I don't want this to be over. This is good. So they send them away, makes pretty logical circumstances, but Jesus says this, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Why does this need to stop? Jesus, the, the disciples reply, we can't do it. We can't give people what they need. They're hungry, they have deep needs, and we can't give them what they need. We, we don't have the provisions. We, don't, we just don't have the resources. We don't have it. That's my paraphrase. That's not exactly what they said, but that's my paraphrase, all right? So why does, why does Jesus do this? Why does he give them this impossible test? You give them something to eat. See that big crowd out there that's crumbling? You give them something to eat. Why does he do that? 
Is Jesus just being mean? Is he just being ornery? He wants them to acknowledge something. He wants them to acknowledge their inability. That's what he wants them to do. Jesus is discipling them. They're disciples, right? He's discipling them. He's training them on the job. Remember, they just came back from proclaiming the kingdom has come, and they healed a lot of sick people, and they bossed some demons around. That's, that's pretty heady stuff. I'd be feeling pretty, like, bulletproof, right? He's reminding them that they get the privilege to participate in his mission, but it's his mission. They get the privilege of walking in his power for ministry, but it is his power to be used for his purposes. Jesus wants his disciples to face the fact that they can do nothing apart from him. Amen? Now listen, Jesus comes to you and me, family. We're his followers, and he says the same things to us. You go give them something to eat. Go to this hope-starved world and give them the hope I've given you. Give them hope, right? Go. One. You, Dan, you're a follower of me. You, go give them something to eat, Jesus says. You, Ted, you're a follower of me. You, go give them hope. Go. Give them something to eat. There you know. Go on. You might. You're my disciple, right? So they're hungry. Go give them something to eat. That's what he says to us. Are you feeling this? So we hear the clear command of Jesus, and we see the immense need before us, and what do we do? We start making, like, real quick, elaborate plans to meet all this need, right? Is that what we do? Do, do, do we start throwing money at stuff? Well, we've got a crisis on our hand. Let's just throw some money at it, and that'll take care of it, right? That'll get rid of that. That'll fix it. Do we get frantic? Do we start reacting as quickly as we possibly can to get rid of the need and take care of that? Is that what we do? Yes, that's exactly what we do, right? Let's be honest. That's exactly what we do. That's, that's how we, we, we do this kind of thing, right? Why? Why do we do that? Why do we react that way when we see immense need? Hmm? Why are we getting frantic mode? Because we don't like staring at our inability. That's why. Do you? We don't like feeling weak. We want to get rid of weak as fast as possible. And maybe no one will notice it. That's what we want to do. We don't like feeling that. We like having a 600-pound wagon full of supplies, right? Now let's go. Now let's go. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God, family. It's not how it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, power comes through weakness. It's an upside-down economy. It's an upside-down kingdom. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's made what? Mostly? No, perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. That means to brag, not hide. I will brag in what? All the more gladly of my weakness. Why? Here's the so that. This is the why part. So that the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Paul reminds us that it's only when we admit that we are weak that we experience Christ's power resting on us. It's only when we acknowledge that we don't have enough strength to guide our children to faith that we worked a hard 10-hour day that we experience Christ's power resting on us. It's only when we acknowledge that we don't have the courage to share the beauty of Jesus with our neighbor that we experience Christ's power resting on us. It's only when we confess that we don't have enough love in and of ourselves for our parents that we find Christ giving us exactly what we need in the moment at that day. That's when it happens. Crossway. Brokenness is our secret weapon for accomplishing Christ's mission. You just missed your chance to shout right there. (laughs) Brokenness is our secret weapon for accomplishing the mission that Christ has sent us on. I like how Crawford Loritz explains brokenness. He says, brokenness is not a feeling of worthlessness but a permanent sense of God neediness. And he should know. Guys, here's what Jesus is telling our church today, I think. We will never get to the point where we don't need Jesus to provide. We will never get to the point where we don't need Jesus to provide. That point doesn't exist out there. That is not what we're aiming for. Amen? And why does it not exist? Why will that we not get to that point? Because it is His glory and not ours. Crossway will accomplish God's mission not through self-sufficiency, but through Christ's dependency. We need to be a church that acknowledges we are less than able. We will rely on Christ when we believe not only that we are less than able, but that when we believe that Christ supplies more than enough. Christ supplies more than enough. Let's look at verse 16 together and 17. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Luke does not explain how this miracle happened. He doesn't tell us how it happened. Did the food form in Jesus' hand as he's, he's breaking? Does the f- food form in the disciples' hands as they are distributing it? We don't know. He doesn't tell how the miracle happens. He just states, just kind of matter of fact, like, it happened. And he sums up the conclusion, Right? Everyone ate till they couldn't eat anymore. Everyone ate till they were full. No one's complaining. No one's feeling hungry. No one's griping. They like the food. They can't get enough of food. Seconds, please. Thirds, no problem. Here it comes. And there were lots of leftovers. Out of five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus makes a meal for over 5,000 people. The Son of God caters a meal in the middle of nowhere without warning. Are you feeling this? Jesus is revealing who he is through this meal. 
Jesus is the Messiah who will host what is known the Messianic banquet. The scriptures are full of allusions to this Messianic meal, this Messianic banquet, right? Here's just one of them. Uh, actually, Pastor John read part of one of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read another one, Isaiah 55. I'm glad you read that verse, by the way. We were on the, both on FM radio, I guess, this morning. So, same channel. This is the prophet, so God's talking. Come. See, he's welcoming, just like Jesus. He welcomed the crowd. Come. God says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. When when the Messiah brings the kingdom of God into the world, there will be a huge feast. And this feasting will never stop. There'll be plenty instead of not enough. It will be rich with flavor instead of just tasteless fuel, like some of those power bars we eat. It will make us glad like wine. It will strengthen and fortify us like milk. And we won't grow broke paying for it. We just get to eat it. He invites us to come, enjoy it. This is the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. When we as a church believe that Christ supplies more than enough, we will rely on him for provisions. We need to believe, we need to believe that Jesus gives the good stuff. Do you believe that Jesus gives the good stuff? Because we need to. We need to believe that on this mission. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was giving people a literal, physical, tasty foretaste. Coming attractions, appetizers. I'm not just giving you words. Taste and see the Lord is good. He gave him a little foretaste of what he is bringing into the world. Right there in front of you. It's near, it's right there. Luke says that they ate until they were satisfied. That's, I don't like that. That's cold. They ate till they were satisfied. They ate till they were full. They ate till they couldn't eat eat anymore. They ate and they were full. Jesus gives the good stuff. Jesus gives the good stuff. Brothers and sisters, this is what we offer the hungry world. Life with Jesus. That's what you're going to offer the hungry world. Life with Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy our deepest hunger. And only Jesus can satisfy our most curious intellect. Only Jesus can satisfy our real need for hope when we live in a desolate place. Getting a pay increase that cannot satisfy us enough. A new adventure cannot satisfy us enough. Finding love and getting married that cannot satisfy us enough. Staying single, being free to do whatever you want cannot satisfy us enough. The entire Netflix library cannot satisfy us enough. Only Jesus can do that. 
When you offer people Jesus, brothers and sisters, you are offering them the good stuff. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone ever tell you you need extra and a bump and a boost to what you're saying. You're offering them the good stuff. You are not going out with second hands. You're not going out with generic label. You got name brand. God has not sent you and I into the world with inferior food. We're not handing out snacks. We're having meals. Amen? We're having meals. We were made for meals. And we're going to have a meal that never stops one day. And I say, hurry, Lord Jesus. He has given us something to share that cannot be found anywhere else. It's a truly satisfying life with Christ. Everybody's snacking. And that's why some people aren't hungry. I'm going to say, come to the meal. Come to the meal. We need to also believe that Jesus is a generous host. Jesus is a generous host. Look at verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets full. If you've been following along with the book, with Tim Chester, he says this quote. I thought it was pretty interesting. He says, That day the disciples took home twelve baskets full of leftovers. The impossible task was not only completed, but it was over-completed. And those twelve disciples are now two billion disciples and counting. We need a theology of leftovers. I love that. Do you have a theology of leftovers? Is your theology of God a theology of leftovers? Jesus makes food. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples, and they distribute it. They're doing his work, right? He repeats the process. They come back. I'm out. Okay, here's some more. And they go out, and they do it again. At some point, the people got full, right? At some point, the people got full. Yet Jesus just keeps making more food. Think about this. He just keeps making more than they need, and he just keeps right on making more and more. I see. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps making more food. The food starts piling up. I want you to picture this. The food starts piling up, and the disciples have to, like, gather and put in a little basket. He just keeps making more food. And it spills over the basket. So they run. They got to get another basket. They fill it up, and it just starts whoop, it's spilling over again. And they're running around. And this happens nine times and ten times and eleven times. It happened twelve times. I just picture Jesus smiling as he's watching his disciples scramble around, find enough baskets, and hoping they don't run out of baskets. Maybe Jesus got to make baskets to make for the food. I think Jesus enjoyed blowing their mind. I really do. Right? After more than 5,000 bellies are full to satisfaction and 12 baskets are filled to the brim, Jesus decides to finally stop making food because he's made his point. <laughs> Jesus is generous. Jesus is generous. He's not stingy. You're stingy. Chad is stingy. Jesus is not. Jesus is generous. You know why Jesus uh, doesn't have to hoard his provisions? You know why? 
You know why Jesus doesn't ration out his power? Oh, oh, that's too much power over there. Let's divide it up so no one gets too much power. You know why he doesn't have to ration it out? Because he's not working with a limited supply like you and I are. That's why. We work with deficit. Jesus works with a surplus all the time and excess. That's why. Through this meal, Jesus reveals himself to be a more than enough God. Is that the Jesus that you believe in, family? Is that the Jesus that we are praying to as a church? Or are we praying to a God that sends us on an impossible mission in a desolate place and tells us, find your own supply lines? Because if so, then why bother talking to that God? If so, why bother praying for him and asking for him anything? And maybe that's why some of us don't. Because that's how we think he is. But if he is, really is, a more than enough God, if his heart really is set towards supplying instead of hoarding, if he's the kind of God that provides more than we would know what to do with, <laughs> then we should be asking him day and night for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray, right? We should be doing the one thing the disciples don't do in the story. That's pray. We should ask him, seek him, knock, and keep knocking for what we need. And we need to believe for baskets full of leftovers. The need is great. We are not able, but Christ gives more than enough. Amen? We must believe that God is generous and ask him for what we need. I love you guys. I want to pray.